Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, I'm with Andy Reid. I think we all need a cheeseburger. Cautious Clay, that is definitely some music you should go listen to right this second. And with me this week to tell you why The Reigns of Castromere is the best Game of Thrones episode ever, it's David Newman. Look, all I know is that I'm here for arguments for Reigns of Castromere. I'm here for the Winds of Winter. Maybe even hard home, but Blackwater can get the fuck out of here. Like yeah, coming in fire with the uh, the green fire, I guess if you I will. I mean, like it, not that it was a bad episode. It's a, it's a good. It's a top ten, maybe borderline top five episode. But that is is so clearly not the best episode of for the uninitiated. There was a USA Today article that I tweeted out, uh, I think earlier this week. Talking about the, I think it ranked all like what felt like 169 poorly. episodes, very of, poorly of Game of Thrones, and Blackwater was at the top. It's a bit controversial. I it was bad, <laughs> controversial. It was terrible. But hold on, let's get to the important bits because there's one bit of house cleaning that we should let everyone know. First is that we're not going to have a David and Oscar show next week because David's going to be in like Turkey and Caracas. Is really <laughs> what I heard. How you're going to do both Turkey and Caracas at the same time on one vacation, I'm still not sure, but hey, man, you do you. It's your life. I was promised a beach. That's that's all that I know is that there's a beach and that I'm going to uh, sit on said beach for like about a week or so and not think about really anything. But really, it's Turks and Caicos. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Caribbean. Yeah. The Caribbean, the Caribbean, the Caribbean, the Turkey, the Caracas, uh, live in your best life. But that means we won't have a full episode, but we may have a bonus episode planned in the works. Stay tuned to definitely keep your eyes peeled on the feed. But more, more importantly, more importantly than Turkey and Caracas, more important than the reigns of Castromere being the Game of Thrones goat is that in your family, you've got a traitor, my friend. <laughs> I want to alert you to the uh. fact that you have a snake in the grass in your own home. How could you do this to the fans, David Newman? Tell us. Look, why. it was a, it was a kind gesture. Okay, so uh, my mother in law is a, a very big Patriots fan. Um, her family grew up in Massachusetts, um, so it makes it makes sense, right? It's not just like a, some bandwagon thing. Like they grew up there, and that's that's kind of their hometown I've met team. Her. She's very nice. Um, we get along. It, it, she's she's very into it, and so the the Patriots. Twitter account had a contest where they basically posted a picture of Julian Edelman and they gave a signed photo of that picture um, to the, the, the person who could best draw that photo. And my wife uh, is an artist and she is uh, very talented in that regard. And she submitted a, a, a picture and won. And so not only did she get one for, uh, for her mom, but she act, they actually were so impressed that they were going to send us two. So I guess we're going to have one. Um, I mean, it's probably going to sit in a closet somewhere. So but... where I want to hear from you listeners, dear listeners, what are the places that David should hang this autograph photo in his home? Uh, the rules are it has to be a place where it can hang. It can't oh. be like in the toilet. Oh my God. Actually, I have a perfect idea for this. So right now we have like an ongoing thing where the, the photo above our guest toilet uh, is kind of like a joke. So uh, right now there is a photo of a couple that we've never met that we were sent uh, a photo of a by mistake <laughs> when we were trying to order uh, some wedding photos. And so uh, right now that sits above our toilet. And uh, But, you know, we don't want to keep that there forever. We're going to switch it out a little bit. 
that actually may be a great place for the the Julian Edelman signed photo. But that seems too real. Toilet. It seems like you intend it to be there. Like you actually like it. No, I'm thinking like I'm gonna. I just put, really want to think of Julian Edelman when I'm taking. A I'm dump. gonna I'm gonna put a Tyrion. Le- Do you take a dumb backwards? How are you gonna look at it behind the toilet if I'm you're taking? Gonna, a I'll know it's there. Okay, you know. I'm I'm looking at Tyrion Lannister like with an arrow, and on the other end of that is gonna be the picture of Julian Edelman, so that every time you poop, you're gonna think of being disemboweled, and then Julian Edelman. It's going to be great. Man. Let's get to the rundown because we've got some some NFL news to get to this week. We do have some rule changes. It turns out that the coaches were really, really mad about what happened to the Saints, and they wanted to make some bones about it. There were lots of other little rule changes, but the really big ones, the important ones, are that now offensive pass interference and defensive pass interference are on the list of reviewable penalties. This also includes reviewing them for no calls, which is, of course, a reaction to the NFC Championship game that pretty much cost the Saints the Super Bowl or getting to the Super Bowl. Sure. Uh, I'm about it. Um, I think, you know, we've talked about this before. We talked about this, uh, you know, kind of after this happened. And and it's just like, uh, at this point, just make everything reviewable. I, I don't think that this um, extends games, uh, you know, that you're not increasing the amount of times that you can challenge or anything like that. I think uh, you're just kind of widening the scope on what you can challenge and, and really making those challenges more valuable and and potentially uh, getting to more impactful moments like that. So uh, I think, yeah, just make kind of everything reviewable and, and still only give it them uh, the limited opportunities to do so. I think if you're looking at speeding up the game, there's a lot of other ways that you can go about that. I was talking about that very thing with, with Taylor Price. I jumped on his show yesterday, and I, I mentioned that if you are looking to shorten the game, there are lots of opportunities to do so. The team, the league has already done little things like that where they try to reduce the number of commercial breaks from the kickoff to the touchback to the commercial to the oh now God, you know coming me. back. Yeah. And, or it's the touchdown commercial, two-point or extra-point commercial kickoff commercial and then you come back to play and and like those are the types of things that i think the league should target but i do think expanding i wish they would have gone further i wish they would have gone eye in the sky like the aaf and just had a a a sky judge to say nope that one needs to get turned over you don't need to go through the farce of having the referee run over to the little tablet look at the tablet you have a dude sitting in a truck with 97 60-inch tablets <laughs> pointed right at him, that poor guy is going to get cancer at like 40 years old because of all of the rays of things that he's being subjected to. Let that dude make the call. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think there's no reason to uh, really limit this to only being you know the, the official on the field having to make these calls. Like You have guys that are in position to take advantage of the technology that we have available and, and, and get much better views and make a much quicker decision. Uh, and I think that, yeah, whenever you can take advantage of something, I mean, that's really the best thing I think so far about the AAF and, and the thing that they should absolutely look at taking. But I think it, at the very least, this is a, a step in the right direction um, in terms of widening this, the scope of what review can potentially do. When the 2040 offseason hits and the league and the owners are finally okay with going full bore in, in the instant replay and not dipping their toe and a cryogenically preserved Jerry Jones is <laughs> casting the deciding vote for, for the full overhaul of the replay system, I think we'll be in a better place, David. We'll dear, get there. We'll get there God. soon. No. Uh, the, other, the only other really new tidbit that I got from some of the, the meetings this week that I thought was interesting was a little tidbit about Jimmy Garoppolo. And he was apparently watching film with Mike Shanahan in December to get better without taking Kyle's time away from the team. 
and without taking Kyle away from game planning, which I mean, really my only response to that is fuck. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Cool story, bro. That's, that's basically where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, I love, it's like, it's, it's great. I, I just think it's good. I think it's leveraging all of the different assets that you have. And Mike Shanahan yeah. is a good coach. Steve Young credits him for really helping his career along. He, uh, Steve Young kind of exalts Mike Shanahan in the book that he wrote uh, just a couple years ago. He says that he w- that Mike Shanahan was fanatical about preparation. Um, he nicknamed he he nicknamed Mike Shanahan quote Let's go over it one more time, Shanahan, uh, because they would always want to go over the game plan one more time. And then Shanahan in turn nicknamed Steve Young Rain Man, <laughs> which I think is just great. <laughs> right, I think it's uh, you know th- like the the cool thing to see here, you know, just from from purely a fan perspective, is you like to see guys looking for ways you know that they can maximize their time to get better and and kind of taking advantage of any little opportunity and you especially like to see those type of things with your quarterback so uh yeah taking advantage of of a resource like Mike Shanahan who's obviously been or, or was a very incredible coach for for a really long time in the league like yeah pick that brain and 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 you know be able to kind of pull some of that knowledge and and be able to help that or help yourself be better for the next season while you're sitting there rehabbing. So I think, you know, we, we talk about these things kind of every off season. It seems like, you know, it was whether it's Solomon Thomas working out with, you know, all of these veteran defensive linemen to get better. It was a Keller Witherspoon last year going with that cornerback summit. Like, you know, it, we, it, whether it matters, player, right. want to find a player where it helped maybe uh, Trent sure. Brown working with Von Miller. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, you know, yeah. The, the degree into which this actually is going to matter on the field is, is very uncertain, but uh, nonetheless, you'd like to see players uh, at least attempt, you know, trying to find ways to get better. Totally agree. So those are really the only stories that came out, I think from the owners meetings and, and from nine, from Ninerland specifically, I don't know. We need to talk about Jed York punching a wall and getting a stud. I mean, that's just karma. Dude got what he deserved. One of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about cornerbacks because that is the position group that we're going to talk about this week, specifically draft eligible quarterbacks because cornerbacks. Yeah, not, not quarterback. We're, we're done with quarterbacks. I ain't trying to look for one of those anymore. No, not at all. But yeah. we are going to talk about cornerbacks because any way you slice it, it is time to upgrade coverage. So much like we did with the edge class, we're going to ask some of the key questions around the position group, get to a couple of players that we think could be really good fits for the 49ers, and overall set the stage for what the 49ers could or should do at the cornerback position in the 2019 NFL draft. So first, let's talk about the coverage unit as a whole, because we've talked about it a little bit with our roster evaluation model. It didn't turn out all that great. Lots of tier four players, lots of players that just were replaceable and not good. Um, And even the players that we thought would be those tier two players, the players that you would build a team around, ended up really being more developmental pieces like Akella Witherspoon and Tavares Moore. So they are definitely in a position where they need to infuse coverage and their coverage units with talent. It was bad last year. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, you know, not and, great, Bob. And we have, uh, I, I know, mentioned this point a number of times, but I think it, it is very important to continue to bring up. It, it, they were they were very bad in coverage, and I think even though there are players that, uh, yeah, you're not ready to give up on yet. You know, you you hope that there's some development there. You can't. You're not in a position where you can really kind of sit with what you have. I mean, you look at. It kind of just the the pure production that they were able to, uh, I guess, not produce last year. Um, it, it was alarming. I mean, uh, when you look at uh, targets when a defensive back, so either a corner or a safety, was in primary coverage, they gave up a thirty to one 
touchdown to interception ratio, which was uh, by far the worst in the NFL, uh, a 123.8 passer rating, which again was the worst. And just for, for context there, even in a, a very pass happy NFL that we were in last season, um, you know, the, the NFL leader in passer rating as a quarterback was Drew Brees last year with just over 115. So uh, he was, you basically as a, uh, a secondary were allowing the opposing quarterback to be better than Drew Brees every time they step back to throw. Um, only were able to force incompletion, so where the the cornerback or the the safety was the primary reason that that pass fell incomplete on eight point four percent of of targets, which was the twenty eighth in the league. So it was just kind of no matter what metric, however you want to slice that up, you know, it was it was bad across the board. And they, you know, while added Jason Brett and free agency. Is is I don't think we feel that's quite enough. They really need to continue to add players at this position because it is so important uh, for their potential success next season. We want to see guys come in and, and really be able to lift this unit up. So the first question that I've got about the corners as a whole is whether or not there are any corners to go at second overall because you've had a couple of corners the last few years that have gone relatively high and they have helped change the fortunes of their respective defenses. You've got Jalen Ramsey, who went fifth overall in 2016, Marcus Lattimore, who went 11th overall in 2017, and then Denzel Ward, who went fourth overall to the Browns in 2018. Is that second spot, should we be talking about more corners in that spot? Or are the corners really, uh, this year, in a group where they shouldn't be nearly as high as the Boses and the Williams of the world? I think it's a really interesting conversation, right? I don't think we have a a a solid concrete answer to that question at this point, but I think it is interesting to look at because it, you're you're really looking at okay, we know that cornerback is is incredibly important, right? We we have landed on that where we know that's a, that's important to the success of the defense and that's a, a a position that should be a priority for your team and and what you're looking to build from a, a pure evaluation standpoint, right? If you're just kind of for a moment, judging all positions equally, how good does that corner have to be from an evaluation standpoint to justify going over a player to another position who you may have higher an evaluation but isn't at as posi- uh, important of a position, right? So um, this was something that uh, actually our, our kind of analytics guys at PFF have looked at and, you know, kind of where they they kind of land is if you have a guy that is in the middle of the first round from an evaluation standpoint at corner, you should really feel because of the the positional value of that, you should feel pretty confident taking him at just about anywhere, you know, in, in the draft, especially if you're not looking for a quarterback. It's tough. I mean, I don't think this draft has a Jalen Ramsey or a Denzel Ward or a Marshawn Lattimore type of prospect in it. But there are some very good players that I think will likely go in the top half of the first round. And so, you know, where you feel comfortable taking them, I think is a very interesting conversation. And I think if we were GMs of a team, we would probably lean more towards taking a corner early and often. But it's pretty clear that the Niners as a team building philosophy probably land more so on the front seven is more important side of the debate. Right. Where they're going to go more towards the Bosa, the Williams, maybe even Josh Allen, if that's where, you know, kind of they land and he's still available. I do think that John Lynch and this team feels that their front seven is of value and that edge is going to help their coverage defenders because of where they spend their resources. It's obvious that they don't, they think they can get by with 
third round picks at corner and first round picks on the defensive line. And I know that some of those defensive line picks have been holdovers from previous regimes, but they've not been shy about drafting Solomon Thomas. Obviously, they're in the Quinn and Williams and Bosa sweepstakes, and and they keep you know extolling Jimmy Ward as someone who could help you know the, their coverage. So it's it's clear I think that they fall on the edges more important debate side of the debate. And so for them, I think if you're trying to project what the team is actually going to do. I don't think that there really is a corner in this class that is worth it to take it to for the 49ers. And so if you're going to start looking at corners, you're really looking at a scenario where the Niners have traded down. Right. Uh, yeah, I think when you're, you know, there's there's always two sides of that conversation, right? Like what should be and then what is most likely to to happen, like, right, what is. And, and I think in in this case, while... Um, what should be is they should probably still consider a corner, you know, even if it's not the best choice and that's what you land on, that's fine. But I think at two, even you, you probably should be considering that position, but it, you know, the most likely scenario is they're not going to take a corner in the first round unless they're moving back from number two. And I think, uh, you know, once you get into the latter half of the top 10 there, or if they were to move back into the early, you know, teens or something like that. Like that is your your range where I think the top cornerbacks in this particular class are going to start to come off the board. Now there is there are certain positions where we have a pretty clear prototype that the Niners go after. I think wide receiver is one of them, and corner I think is most certainly another one of those positions where we have a really clear picture of what the Niners really are interested in and the type of player that they go after. So. When we think of the players that we want to identify and target as potential fits for the 49ers, we first want to look at the athletic profile that the Niners prefer because they really love athletes at corner. You look at the players they've acquired specifically under this regime. You look at Akella Witherspoon, Tarveris Moore, Jason Verrett. They're all 90th percentile or better athletes if you're using spark score as a way to measure their athleticism. That overall, I think, athleticism score is really, really valuable, and it's a way to pare down what it is that the Niners are really going to go after because they do believe that athleticism matters specifically at the corner spot, and the players that they've acquired repeatedly show that. Right. I think the the guys that you're looking at them bringing in um, prior to Jason Verrett, at least, you know, he's the one guy that, that I think we, you know, as we talked about before, is a little bit of a different type of player, but even he was still incredibly athletic. And then there was enough that you saw on tape when he was healthy that, you know, he's a player that you can see them making an exception for, but generally, yeah, you're looking at those guys that are, you know, you look at Witherspoon was six, two, almost six, three had the 33 inch arms to various more, a very similar athletic profile, both tested off the charts. Like these are the type of guys that they brought in. Obviously Richard Sherman is, is the one notable name that they brought in via free agency he, of course, is is really the single prototype for this scheme and, and kind of what teams that are running this are looking for. And so uh, I think that's the guy. They're, they're kind of willing to uh, go with a, a player who's a little bit taller, longer, can really defend and challenge those vertical routes downfield. And, and to get that, they're willing to exchange kind of some short area quickness and guys that can change direction a little bit and be better in those shorter areas. And I, I think that's kind of where they've been so far. It'll be interesting that, you know, obviously they're bringing in a new DB coach. Um, I don't know that that's the best way that the league is trending. So it's, it's interesting with Jason Brett being kind of the first test case, whether they're going to start to break out of that mold just a little bit. 
I hope they do because I think that it's it's more important to get players that can cover and and whether or not that player is five nine or five ten like Jason Verrett uh, or whether they're six two or six three I think coverage is more important than yep. whether or not you clear a bar. I think stylistically, when you look at how a player or what a player is asked to do in the 49ers scheme, this is also another way to pare down the people that you're going to look at. The corners that the Niners look at and would prefer have to be very good at protecting the deep third, and they have to be good at at covering that sideline. Using the sideline as an extra defender is a skill that a 49ers corner should do very, very well. And because of the frequency with which they they cut they call zone plays, you probably want players that do well or uh, or kind of excel in, in zone coverage. If you've got someone who's a phenomenal man defender but not great in zone, they're probably not going to be a fantastic fit for what the 49ers want to do on defense. So overall, if you're looking at the profile for the player, a physical athlete, a physical specimen, specifically when you're looking at spark scores, you're looking at generally taller wider t- taller cornerbacks with 33 inch arms or longer uh, and you've got to be able to play that deep third use the sideline well and do well in zone uh, anything else about the prototype that that you think is important or instructive to talk about when it comes to the Niners I think those are the big points I mean yeah the the routes really that they're looking to take away uh, again are going to be the deep vertical routes up the sideline and then the routes that kind of play off of that right which is your your kind of deep outbreaking routes your comeback routes the things that are that are in that like 12 to 18 yard range uh, that break toward the sideline, right? So those, I think that's the starting point. If you can take those away in those scheme and you show the ability to not only stay on top of the vertical routes and challenge those, but also be able to recognize when they're going to break off of that and, and kind of run those comebacks, those outbreaking routes uh, to the sideline there and, and be able to challenge those as well. Those are the type of players that have really fit this scheme well. They're less concerned. I mean, you go back even when Richard Sherman was at his peak, you know, there's a, a number of plays where he's getting toasted on on shorter in-breaking routes. And that's just because that's not really his his style. That's not what he matches up well. That's also a lot of times not what the scheme asks him to cover, right? So a lot of times uh, it may even look like he's getting roasted on those and that's not his responsibility at all. And so I think that's the starting point is you need to be able to cover those routes well and then if you can do other things, obviously they prefer that, but that's that's kind of the baseline that they're working with. And this is all derivative of Monty Kiffin and Pete Carroll and the axioms that they really instilled in their defense is don't get beat deep. Like if you're going to give up a, a 5, 7, 10 yard, that's fine. Don't give up the big play. Right. The whole philosophy of this entire defense is to limit the big plays, force everything to be thrown ever underneath, and then you have good athletes in place that can rally to the ball and kind of and make tackle. tackles. Uh, with limited yards after the catch. That's the whole thing they're trying to do defensively. So those are the types of corners the Niners are looking at and the profile they prefer. So with that in mind, who is the best corner in this class? Before we get to the best corner in the class, let's take a brief break and hear from our sponsors. All right, best corner in the class. It may not be someone the Niners are in play at at two, but who is someone that if the Niners were to trade down is someone they should target as the best person in the class? Cornerbacks are fun because I think, you know, a lot of times like receivers, uh, there are different flavors and uh, there are a lot of players that end up as kind of a similar caliber overall. Don't hit me with this Neapolitan ice cream bullshit. Don't give me this strawberry chocolate vanilla argument. I want to hear the best one, David. So, I mean, so for me, for me personally, based on what I like uh, in corners, what I think can not only fit with the Niners, but like kind of what they should again be looking for. um, 
DeAndre Baker from Georgia is is really my guy there. I think he uh, is is the one that's shown kind of the widest skill set of these top cornerbacks uh, that, that that are in this class. I think you've seen him play not only kind of up tight to the line of scrimmage and be able to play in man and, and kind of that press bail that the 49ers like to use. Uh, he's shown the ability to make plays in off coverage, and I think you really see him excel there in, in being able to recognize route concepts and have a good feel for uh, you know, what routes are coming his direction and, and be, allowing him to kind of jump the ball and, and make plays on the ball in those situations. And so I think you've just kind of seen a, a much wider variety of of coverage plays for him uh, during his career at Georgia that make you feel comfortable that he could really kind of fit. I think he's the most versatile top guy in this class. That I think he could go to a number of different schemes and really still end up being a very, very good player. DeAndre Baker is my favorite corner in the class as well. And and when we were watching his film, what really jumped out at me was his ability to squeeze those deep routes incredibly well. There were instances where the, the wide receiver is trying to stay on that line, but kind of between the, the numbers and the, and the sideline. And Baker's just, he's he's got his eyes either trained on the ball or near the backfield. And he's just squeezing, squeezing, squeezing. By the time the ball gets there, wide receiver's out of bounds. Yeah. And, and there's nothing that he can do. He is very, very good at using the field, being aware of where he is in the field, and using that sideline as an as an extra defender, which is exactly what he's going to be asked to do in the 49ers scheme. And, and so I think when you look at a player that is that can do what the Niners will ask him to do very, very well, and he's a smart player, at least what he shows on tape and the ability to recognize concepts, he's a, a smart player. I think he is probably the best corner of the 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 players that get listed at the top, the Greedy Williams, the Byron Murphys of the world, um, he would be my favorite if the Niners are going to draft a corner. Yeah, I think, you know, the again, the thing with him is that he just, he's not the best in any one single thing, right? He's not the the most athletic player in the class. He's not the guy that makes the most plays on the ball in the class. Like, he's not the best man corner. He's not the best zone corner, but he's just kind of really good at everything, right? He kind of... Uh, hits a high level in all those areas and is really versatile. And, and you see him, you know, his college production was fantastic. He was able to, uh, you know, force incompletions at, a, at a, it's still a really high rate. Uh, again, because of the coverages that you see and, and kind of the multiplicity you see in Georgia's scheme, um, was asked to do a number of different things that he's going to be asked to do in the NFL. Uh, and so you just feel, I think, a little bit more comfortable with his tape and, and uh, there's less projection because you're not like, well, I only really saw him play off zone because that's what the scheme was, right? Or I only say him, uh, saw him play press man, you know, the wide majority of the time. And so I don't have a good feel for what he can do outside of that. He's a guy that you saw do kind of a little bit of everything, do very well at all of those things. And, and so I think that's why he's the guy. If you're going to take a chance, I think, on a top 10 pick, you know, with a cornerback, he's the guy I'm going for. The other thing I liked about his game was that he was very, very physical, uh, as Singletary would say, physical with an F, uh, <laughs> despite his size. He's actually on the big, I would say he's probably, he looks thicker than you would think just based on his kind of size Yeah, it doesn't have like the, the height that they, I guess they're yeah. normally looking he's for. Stout. His arm length is actually pretty, pretty solid for his size. Um, but yeah, he's just kind of got that stout build to yep. him. He does play through the receiver and to the ball, forces incompletions at a pretty high rate. His 29.3% forced incompletion rate was fourth 
in the corner classes here. And when the Niners are looking at players that they want to bring to their team, you look at two interceptions last year. Yeah, let's look at someone who's going to be around the ball and again can, and so, can forcing completions. Right. Uh, the 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 49ers secondary last year, uh, just as a reminder from earlier, 8.4% was their fourth incompletion rate last Jesus. year. So, uh, you know, he alone was able to do eight point, uh, it, it, I, I do that as at a significantly higher clip. That is something, you know, they, they, again, they need guys who can make plays and, and, uh, and, and really make things happen on the back good end there. Lord. And he's shown that. that hurts. That hurts a lot. It's bad. It's, it's not, it, it's not good. Let's get to the, the other player though, that has been really regarded as kind of the consensus top player at the corner position. And that's greedy Williams. Greedy Williams is someone who is, is good at doing the thing that he was asked to do, which is play a lot of press man very well. And that means that he's got to have the athleticism to catch up to wide receivers if they beat him at the, uh, you know, at the initial line when they separate. And that happened a lot. But his speed and his athleticism is what allowed him to play press man so well for LSU because he was able to recover often even if he did get beat off the line. Right. I think when we when we compare those two specifically, you look at, at Baker as being a guy that I think is uh, while likely a, a, a little less athletic than Greedy is, um, more technically sound. So it, he was able to kind of almost like a, a Richard Sherman type, right? He doesn't need to rely on that athleticism as much because he's always in a pretty good position and, and is kind of uh, not putting himself in a bad spot where he has to really make up a lot of ground and, and where that athleticism really comes in handy. Greedy, you see a little bit more of a mixed bag. I mean, he has a lot of great plays, obviously, um, but there are plays where he kind of gets torched and and then you see the athleticism to be able to make up ground and 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 kind of recover and and at least challenge the ball there and so uh I think yeah if if you're a guy if you're a team that plays a lot of man coverage uh and and you're looking for a guy that can get up you know be a little bit physical at the line of scrimmage play press man like he's that guy in this class I'm just not sure I mean even as much as I would like the 49ers to play uh, you know, a little bit more aggressive uh, from a coverage standpoint, play more man coverage. I just, I don't know if they're, they're there yet. I don't know that they're there, but I still do think that Greedy Williams could fit what the Niners do just because he is, he's adept at catching up to receivers that roast them off the line if they do. I think what worries me about watching him was that he did get beat at the top of routes a lot, especially by bigger receivers. And, and the receivers that he's, that he's going to face in the NFL are all going to be a little on the larger side. I mean, these are the the big guys in college that also have the athleticism and the speed. And he got bodied at the top of routes a lot. And when you are you know, LSU, for whatever reason, seems to love that long, skinny, I need a cheeseburger corner. <laughs> they really do. And yeah, they've had a lot of those guys. They, they have, right? And, and and so I think that that's the only thing that worries me. I still think he's, he's a great prospect. Uh, but I do think that Baker, for me, um, is is going to be the the prospect I prefer. Um, if the Niners ended up with Greedy, great. I think that'd be fine. Um, but I think that he does, if Baker is kind of the more technical, I do everything well, don't need to rely on my athleticism. I think Greedy is more of the, I do one thing really well, and that is press bail, press man, and I can recover if I get beat because I'm fast as all holy get out. But beyond that, things start to break down a little bit, and and I'd rather go with the well with the well rounded person. Uh, yeah, I think, but that's kind of the the fun part of talking about corners, right? Is is I think overall, if you kind of step back and aren't looking to fit them in a specific scheme, um, just from a pure like how talented is this player? Like I think there are similar caliber players, right? Like they they probably deserve to be discussed in the same range, like all that stuff. 
Um, but they could go in drastically different places of the draft just because it depends on when a team is looking for a corner and what type of corner they, they really prefer. And I think there are enough differences between them that, that you could see them go in drastically different places in the draft. So let's talk about Byron Murphy, uh, another player that is talked about in the same kind of caliber as Greedy and as Baker. But he's someone who, especially as it takes, uh, as it fits or pertains to the 49ers, is not someone that we are terribly high on when we're looking at the kind of top corners in the class. Right. So I think, uh, again, he's a, a very good player. Just for, from the 49ers perspective, I don't see him being a, a player that's really all that much on their radar. So he's not only a little undersized um, from what they typically go for, but he doesn't have the insane top end athleticism to really uh, compensate for that. But again, if you're a team that plays heavy zone coverage, especially off zone coverage, I think he's he's a guy that you're very interested in, right? That's what you saw him do a lot of at Washington. Um, a lot of his best plays are kind of being able to play in that off position, diagnose what's going on, come up and, and make plays on, on routes that are thrown shorter underneath him. Um, you don't see him do quite as well on the downfield routes. I think that's the, the concerning part for, you know, looking at a 49ers specific fit. Um, you, you really want to see guys that, that excel at taking away those vertical routes because that's the number one thing that they look for. Um, I don't think you saw that from him quite as consistently as you would like. And so again, I think it's just a situation. He's a very good player. Uh, if he goes to the right team with the right scheme, that's going to take advantage of that. He's going to do very well. I just don't think the 49ers are that team. So where, where can these players be had, right? If, if it takes kind of one team to say, you know what, that's my dude. I'm going to draft that guy is, are these players and are these cornerbacks going to start coming off the board? Do you think like around 10, 11, 12, is this something where the Niners can trade back at six and, and have their pick of the litter? Or are these players that because of the class and, and the stoutness of the kind of the defensive line that they may be able to be had and something maybe slip into the top of the second round? I don't know that any of those top guys are going to make it out of there, right? I think those three, I feel pretty confident are going to go somewhere in the first round, right? I think the the point in which they start to make sense um again, is kind of that latter part of the top 10. You know, I could see a Martin Lattimore situation where maybe they do go, you know, the first corner off the board is at 11 or something, you know, yeah. right in the, in that range. But I think that's that's the area that you're looking for the first guy to come off the board. I think all three of those guys at minimum are going to go in in the first round. Um, obviously, if if they were to last to the second round, I think you, you have to seriously consider taking those players um, just because of the, the the talent that's involved there. But I, I think there are some, you know, this corner class doesn't necessarily have the top end player again, like the Ramsey, like the the Denzel Ward, uh, that you really feel super confident taking in the top five. But I think there's a decent amount of depth here. There's a, there's some players that are going to be available on day two that can still come in and help your team. Yeah, the, the most popular trade partner for the 49ers that's been bantied about right now is the Giants. If the Giants want to move up to get Kyler Haskins for whatever reason, yeah. then you're looking at the two first-round picks this year, which are on the table, and that puts the Niners at six, and that puts the Niners again at 17. I could see one of these players coming down to 17. I don't know if Baker's going to get all the way to 17. 
I could see I, – I think Baker and Greedy are probably going to be the two off the board. If you're going to go with someone like maybe Brian Burns uh, at at 6 and someone else at 17, honestly, I, if the Niners trade down, I would almost like to see them flip it. I would almost like to see them go corner first and get someone like Baker 6 and then get you know something like Edge or something else at 17, whatever, however the board falls to you. Um, but that would be, a, I think, a pretty powerful combination – of players, whether it be Burns and and someone like Greedy or Byron Murphy, uh, or I'm sorry, DeAndre Baker, uh, and you know someone else at, at 17. That's the kind of stuff that that makes trading down so enticing to me, and why it, you know I kind of lean that way when you're totally. looking at that number two pick, um, because I mean those are two very very good players, and they may not both work out, but. I think adding pieces at those different positions uh, can really change a franchise. Right. I think, you know, at, at any point from when, you, if you're trading down, I think with the, the Giants would be on the high end of that. And then all the way down, I mean, you know, I don't know how likely this is, but just kind of throwing out teams that could potentially use a quarterback that might surprise you and, and end up trading them for a quarterback. I mean, you look at uh, Denver at 10, you look at Cincinnati at 11, you look at uh, Miami at 13, anybody in that range, I think from kind of the giants at six down to Miami at 13. I think if you're moving down in that ballpark, you should be able to likely take uh, one of those top corners in, in this class and feel very good about that. All right. So if those are the corners at the, the kind of top of the draft, DeAndre Baker being our preference, Greedy Williams being also very good, but being a different kind of player, Byron Murphy also being in that mix if the Niners stay pat at two and, and they end up with that second round pick, what are the other options at the top of the second or later that could be, uh, that could be very, very good additions for this team? So I think there are two players that really stand out. Again, when you go back to that profile that they're really looking for and, and what they've shown that they prefer at that position, I think you have one that really fits that prototype. And then you have another one that is, is kind of close in some regards, but is more of a Jason Verrett player and that he kind of shows some of those parts, but, but really separates from that ideal prototype that they've shown in the past. And so I think Justin Lane from Michigan state is the guy that, that really fits what they've been looking for. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's six one of the only players, uh, this is, you know, as a corner class as a whole, is a guy is a class that doesn't have a lot of those long, tall corners. They right? need to all hang from pull-up bars for a couple of weeks a year. Is what we're saying, so. <laughs> right. So it's all guys. You know, you look at, at their measurements, and it's the thirty-one, maybe just over thirty-two inch arms. If if they're lucky, and on the high end of things, uh, very few guys that hit that thirty-three inch arm length that they've shown uh, that they really like. But Lane is is one of those guys, and you see him. You know, d- again, defend the things that they really like is that baseline well uh, being able to stay on top of the vertical routes and and uh, really challenge those and then also kind of those deep comebacks deep outbreaking routes did a very good job there um, David Long I think is a player that we both like more as a pure cover guy but does kind of break from that mold a little bit he's a little bit more undersized um, but just from a, a pure tape standpoint I mean uh, is probably from a, a movement skills standpoint, maybe the best player in this class. I mean, uh, really showed some fantastic things there uh, from a production standpoint, just kind of off the charts uh, in, in terms of what they were able to do, uh, limiting things statistically uh, in Michigan with him. I mean, that's kind of been a thing with Michigan corners in recent years. And, and I think uh, part of that is because 
they do have a tendency to get a little grabby. So you want to have a, a a good evaluation on whether you feel like they are grabbing because they're getting beat or whether they're grabbing because they're actually very good cover players and they just kind of know they can they can push the rules a little bit because they're a little more forgiving with that in college. I think long leans a little bit more towards the latter for me. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I I saw the same thing when, when he was, he liked to maintain contract throughout the route with the wide receiver. And there were a couple where it was like, no, that's, that's definitely a good no call. There were lots where it was like, "Hmm, I I could see that get called in the NFL, but it didn't seem like he was grabbing to recover. It seemed like he was grabbing because he wanted to stay in control. He was very good at staying on top of routes. It wasn't often that he got stacked by the receiver, which was good. Um, And I think that showed in his forced incompletion rate. His forced incompletion rate was 32.3%, which was second in the entire corner class uh, in in college football last year. That's pretty remarkable. His his career stats, so just to throw some of that, because they're they're David Long from Michigan, by the way. Uh, Yeah, so he, over his entire career at Michigan, allowed uh, a completion percentage of 28.6% into his coverage. 28.6. Only allowed 153 yards and one touchdown into his coverage. Uh, That's like one game for the night. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's exactly. Uh, All of that gets you a passer rating of 26.5, which is well below just throwing the ball into the turf every play. I'm laughing Um, so I don't cry. And again, part of this uh, Michigan corners in recent years – uh, from a pure stat standpoint. So again, those those kind of completion percentage yards, passer rating allowed numbers uh, have all fared very well. And a lot of that has to do with the scheme that they play there. And and, and so some of those things you have to, to kind of factor into the evaluation. I think that's why he's a guy that you're looking at as a top of the second round player as opposed to high in the first round. Um, but I think there's very much a skill set that you like there. And I think there's a, you know, a talent level that you really like there. And just, again, from a movement standpoint, very fluid. Uh, you like a lot of what he shows on tape. And so I think he's a guy that if they're looking to break out of this mold a little bit and say, we just want to find the best cover players kind of regardless of what their uh, height, weight, speed profile is, um, he's a guy they should be very interested in. One real quick note about the whole long arm thing, because for the longest time, I would always think to myself, yeah, sure, long arms. Yeah, that makes, totally makes sense. Yeah, corners need long arms. Yeah, but, but like why? Uh, the why is basically because it gives you a wider coverage area. Much like Calvin Johnson is like, oh, what's his catch radius? The bigger you are, the more catch radius you have. Well, the longer arms you are, basically, the more able you are to restrict windows in which a quarterback needs to put the ball into. I think a perfect example of this would have been Richard Sherman in the 2013 NFC Championship game. Like, he, he tips that ball. Damn. Be- yeah, I know, dude. Thought, make- I thought we were done. No, we're, we're not done. done. With that. Never. It's always going to be ingrained in the brain because his, his length and the length of his arms are what allowed him to jump and tip that ball and, and effectively end the game. If his arm is three or four inches shorter, um, you know, or his wingspan, I we should say. We don't is, give a shit about him as yeah, a player. Correct, right? Yeah. So, no. so I think that that's just... <laughs> how it makes it real. It, it just, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, arms. The reason people fixate on that is because it effectively gives your corner a little bit more area that they can cover with their long ass arms. Definitely. And I think the other thing, like the, the, the second thing I would, would add to that is uh, at the line of scrimmage as well, right? It gives you a little bit more length uh, to get hands on the receiver, disrupt the release a little bit. But uh, this was something, this was a big reason why we liked a Kelly Witherspoon coming out of, of Colorado because he did have plays where, 
you know, he wouldn't be in necessarily the best position, but because of the the length that he had, he was still able to challenge and in some cases knock down passes uh, that other corners wouldn't have been able to get to without that length, right? And so that's kind of, it gives you a little bit wider margin for error if you have the corresponding skills to kind of pair with that. And, and that's really the the tricky thing is is finding guys that are that size who can also move well. So if those are the players that we think could be really great options at the top of the second round, Justin Lane from Michigan State and David Long from Michigan, are there any late round prospects worth considering when you start getting into the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds? The only guy that really stands out, and this is kind of, uh, you know, I think we were able to identify uh, like uh, McFadden from Florida State is is a guy that they might be interested in that I think they picked up as an undrafted free agent last year. Um the guy in this class is Auburn's Jamel Dean. Um, tested off the charts. Uh, Why'd you pick a linebacker in this stuff? It, it, Dude, it's weird. Why'd it you pick is, a linebacker? It is hilarious. And like Auburn's had a couple of these guys recently, like out at corner where you're just like, what? This why guy is, is there a linebacker? Is massive. Like, why are they putting exactly like a linebacker out in, in coverage there? This guy is huge. Uh, he looks big. He's... He, He's a large human. He yeah. looks like someone said, oh, you're running back? Well, you want to play a position that matters, so go play corner. And he looks so much like, I mean, at the combine, he was 6'1", 206, like, which doesn't scream like I'm a huge person. He just looks so much bigger when you when you see him compared to receivers on tape. Uh, it's just kind of strange. Um, I think you see him. He is very much that uh, problem that you kind of run into with guys that are a little bit taller and explosive, like they have the, the the very explosive straight line speed, but really don't have the kind of change of direction skills that you really like to see at cornerback. And so I think that's why you're probably not going to see him go, uh, you know, day one, day two of the draft. But uh, is a is a late round guy that I think you know, while didn't necessarily show a lot of the traits that you would uh, really love to see, you want to you know, again at the late rounds you're taking a chance on something, whether that's taking a chance on on a player that has incredible athleticism, whether that's taking a, a chance on a player that had incredible production despite bad athleticism. You know, you're, you're, you have to lean kind of one direction or the other. He's a player that I think would be on their radar uh, that, that fits that athleticism profile that you could see them go, you know, again, round five, six, seven, maybe un, even undrafted. I think overall, when I look at this class, the thing that strikes me is that unlike the class with Akello, this is not a deep corner class. I think it's it's not a it's not a class where you're going to find a ton of diamonds in the rough. It feels like it feels like you've got some pretty good guys near the the top of the draft, but that corner area around round like between late round one, round two, and round three, I feel like that's the meat of where you're going to find a lot of the value um, in this draft. It doesn't feel like it's going to go super deep where you're going to have a lot of athletic corners late. And so, if I'm looking at what the the Niners could potentially do. If you're in the trade down camp, then I think you you trade down and you get hopefully someone like DeAndre Baker uh, or Greedy Williams. If you're not in the trade down camp and you're like, you know what, pick Bosa or Quinnen or whatever is there at two, and, and it seems like maybe if the Niners do that, then you're really looking at someone like David Long at the top of the second round. Um, and that, that'd be a pretty good haul, dude. I mean, if you think yeah. like, let's say Kyler goes number one, which it seems like that's apparently what's going to happen. Um, I think it was, uh, Albright. He, he said that now you can put, uh, Kyler Murray and Penn to the Cardinals, uh, at one. So, I mean, it seems like, yeah, it, it seems it, like it feels like it's going to happen whether it's to the Cardinals 
because they draft him or whether it's to someone else because they've traded out. It seems right. like Kyler is going one no matter what. And that means that at two, the Niners are going to have their option of Bosa, Quinn and Williams, or trading down because someone wants to go up and get Haskins. But I don't think the market is going to be as clamorous for Haskins as it was for, as it will be for Kyler Murray. If for some reason, Kyler Murray goes to two. And so at that point, I think the Niners are probably looking at Bosa or, uh, or Williams. I couldn't fault them for taking Bosa. Dude's really good. And if that's the case, you're looking at someone like David Long or Justin Lane at the top of the second. And that's a pretty good one to haul. The, the wrench, of course, in all this is that the Niners are going to get fall in love with the wide receiver at two. And, and then, you know, you're going to have to wait for another couple of weeks while we cover wide receivers. Don't say that. They're not going to take a wide receiver at two. That's they not, absolutely will take it. No, not that's at not two, funny. but in the second round. I mean, in the second round, okay, that's, I mean, that's, that, that would be more no, tolerable. No, the wrench was not taking wide receiver at two. The wide re- receiver at two, I'm going to disappear. Uh, uh, you're never going to hear from who, me again who if are they you take a wide receiver at two. Who with Tevin Coleman, though? Yeah, I why, I don't, I don't know how you could possibly find someone other than at number two overall. I, it doesn't even make sense. Um, I was talking to Eric on Twitter last night, and we were talking about because he, him, and I always go like super deep in the old school Niner references. His ability. This is Eric Eager. He's a data scientist at PFF. Oh, um, his ability to pull up obscure old school players is oh, it's is remarkable. Incredible. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. I, I love him for it. And we got to talking about JJ Stokes. Um, <laughs> Dear God, why? I, well, because he was. He's like he, he tweeted at me, and he was like, you know, I, this is. Uh, of the PFF forecast, go listen to the show. It's great. But he was like, you know, it's got me thinking about overconfidence. Um, and the Niners went to go get J.J. Stokes. They went to go get Jerry Rice's replacement at 10th overall. Um, and and it wasn't until like 10 years later or whatever it was that Jerry Rice actually, you know, left to go to the Raiders. Um, and, and it was like, yeah, they drafted his replacement like, you know, 10 years too early. Uh, and then... Cool. Like the next season is when they drafted Terrell Owens. I think it was like ninety six or yeah. whatever. They drafted yeah. him in the third round. Yeah. So you know that's that's just the way it goes. Overconfidence. Point point made right don't, there. Don't do it. Nothing else to but, add. Um, but yeah, so I think that's that's a pretty. If we're looking at the the events that we think could happen that could really help the team, I think a pairing of Bosa and and someone like uh, Lane or Long, which I'm gonna screw those names up over and over and over again. Uh, Justin Fair. Lane and David Long. Um, but that is a fantastic haul. If you're looking at trading down for whatever reason and you get someone like Baker um, and then pair that with someone else in the second round or even you get Brian Burns and then Baker or Murphy or Greedy Williams in that first round, that's an even better haul in my opinion because your overall talent, I think, is just is just phenomenal at that point. Um, yeah, so- I mean, yeah, I, I think there's there's really no question that you have a greater chance at, at, at improving your team to a higher degree if you trade down and, and kind of accumulate some more picks in that, especially in that top 100 area, right? If you can get uh, some additional picks in, in that range, like you're just going to be much better off. I, I think, yeah, th- this class, as far as cornerbacks are, are concerned specifically, I think the sweet spot for them is really going to be you know, day two. And then if you can trade back, if you end up in kind of the middle, you know, again, around 10, give or take a handful of picks. Um, that's the ballpark that you're kind of probably going to be able to get a lot of the best corners in this class. Uh, and I think, again, that just needs to be a position where they decide that like, look, this is really important. We need to add players. We can't rest on the fact that of hope, basically that the players that we have are going to 
develop and improve significantly from where they were at a year ago. We need to have multiple plans in place to make sure that we're going to be set at this spot because we need players that can come in and contribute here. And so you want to see them at least invest those resources high up in those top 100 picks. I think that corner is one of the areas where the team has shown the the kind of the most logical process and the process we wish they would take at some other positions of value because we all fell into the fallacy, ourselves included, of saying, oh, look at how the coverage units were last year. And then you think one year forward and Colbert's going to take the next step and Jimmy Ward's going to be a fantastic first little backup and Akilla Witherspoon's going to develop and continue on the progression that he's been and all that's going to happen and their secondary is going to be great. Then you add Richard Sherman. Hell yeah, let's do this. And, and it's just, it's not that linear progression, right? Not they don't, only is they it don't not, move that way. Not only is it, lo- is it not linear, but it presumed that everything was going to break right for the 49ers. Yep. And, and what we know about just the way the world works is that not everything breaks your way. And so the best teams prepare for those breaks not all going their way by throwing resources at problems where you want the best thing to rise to the top. And that's what I feel like they've started to do with Jason Verrett, and I think they're going to add a corner in this draft. And, and I think that continually putting resources in a position of value is a really good strategy. Spending third-round draft picks, signing some free agents, getting some value from someone like Jason Verrett. And even to a certain degree, I mean, you could paint Jimmy Ward in that same kind of picture, right? It's like if you think those injuries and those broken bones were a little freaky, you know, three years of consecutive <laughs> broken bones, I think, is it falls in the freaky category, then, then maybe you get some outsized value on a one-year prove-it deal there as well. But I do think that continually throwing resources at this problem is not a bad place to be. Right. You, you, where you, you fall into the bad trap is, is saying that we're going to, we're fine with the Witherspoon. He's going to develop. He's going to, going to be, be good. Um, the, the better approach to that is, well, we've got a Witherspoon there who could develop. We've got Jason Verrett who, uh, could be fantastic when he's healthy. We've got Richard Sherman who again could be fantastic if he's fully healthy and doesn't fall off. Um, we had a draft pick in the top, you know, two rounds here who, if we hit on him, he could be great. And then odds are we're going to find two quality players in that bunch. And that's really what you're looking for, right? Is you, you don't have to hope that every single one of them hits. You've, you've put enough eggs in that basket that you're going to get a couple quality players out of there just by the sheer odds of it. And that's, that's really at the end of the day, all you're trying to do is, is devote, some resources to positions that are important and give yourself enough opportunity that some of those are going to hit and that's going to make a really big impact for your team. All right, so that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That will be at PFF underscore David. A reminder that we will not have a full episode next week because David will be in Caracas uh, and in Turkey simultaneously. (laughs) He's figured out the magic of cloning. It's great. Uh, and so we won't have a full episode, but we will still have something out on the feed. So keep your eyes peeled. Uh, but definitely tweet us if you have any questions about the show. And, and I've been doing kind of like a, if you have any questions on Reddit as well when the episode get, gets posted there. So if you're a Reddit user and not a Twitter user, uh, then check because someone will always post, I think, the podcast there. And I'm in there. Uh, it's just you forward slash better rivals. So. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Tune in in a couple of weeks to get, uh, I think next we're going to cover wide receivers, right? What do we decide next? Yeah, I think wide receivers, um, uh, again, I think is a is a fun class of, of draft prospects to look at here. I think there's a, a lot of different players to, to go at, and I think we wouldn't uh, at all be opposed to them in 
increasing their pass offense and in kind of uh, improving that area. So, yeah, it should be fun. Absolutely. So tune in uh, over the next couple of weeks for some great stuff about wide receivers and some other bonus content. But as always, go Niners. Go Niners.